Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, I will be talking all about locusts. Did you know that before the 1900s, North America experienced locust swarms nearly every 10 years, but then it just stopped out of nowhere? Well, now you do, and you'll learn so much more in this human exception. Mighty, mighty Craig. Hello, Craig. <laughs> yes, not Craig is ran away again. Yeah, Tyler invited him back a little while ago, but come on, Craig's get your shit together. <laughs> All right, yeah, welcome back to Game Exception, and we are here to continue our weird nature shit. And I don't know what we'd even call it. What is what is this episode? <laughs> Uh, the Hell's planet is trying better. to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things trying to kill you, um, I'm going to talk about locusts. Uh, Are you excited? Can you tell? Locusts. <laughs> I hope you feel cicadas. safe and comfortable about the world. Um, because yeah, you're not. locusts. These things are. Duh, uh, ah. Oh, but I you wait. Like it. You oh, wait. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't like it when you say that. <laughs> I was talking to Nathan. It's like, why do I always find out these horrible things whenever I pick a topic? <laughs> I'm telling you. I, Nathan, you have to just pick the topics from now on because I failed. <laughs> Kayla's failed. <laughs> you know what's going to happen, though, is I'm going to... <laughs> Take JWs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to have to cover that anyway. But, Ugh. like, it, it's going to be one of those things where I'm like, this is super fucking weird. And I really want to know about it. And then all three of us are going to take a piece of it, and we're all going to find something super messed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was something terrible to do with something. We will find it. Yeah. All right, locusts. <laughs> I am both excited and terrified. It was very educational, I'll tell you that. Oh, no. Okay. There's I'll a lot of cool myself. stuff to it. Don't worry, and I've, I found some like good news stuff to put at the end. <laughs> so it's not just it's like, by the way, this is how we die. Yeah. <laughs> good news. When a swarm comes through, and you don't have any food left, you can eat the leftovers. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> people, people eat bugs. It's fine. Actually, I know. Locust, um, locusts are actually toxic. Really? Oh, they are? Ooh. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The year is 1874. You're working in the fields. Miles in each direction are rows of corn, wheat, barley, flax, crops that you, your family, and your community depend on to survive the winters. As you pull weeds, you see a large grasshopper in the land next to you, about three inches in length. As it begins to gnaw on a nearby plant, you hear a dull thrumming in the distance, a sound vaguely familiar. How long has it been? Eight years? 
The thrumming grows louder until it's a roar that drowns everything else out. You look across the crops and see your family members have all stopped their work as well to stare up the sky. A shadow spills over the field and you watch as the sun is blotted out by millions of flying insects. All around you, you hear the rustling thuds the locusts land, clinging to whatever they can find, including you. You jump into action, yelling instructions out to the others, but you're not able to even hear your own voice over the thundering insect winds. You scramble for blankets, tarps, anything to try and save as many of the crops as you can. And when you've done all that you can, you and your family huddle in your house, listening to the insects crash against your windows, walls, and doors. Days pass before the swarm moves on to the next farm. Your crops are all but destroyed and your ears are ringing for the sound stopped long ago. This is what it's like to experience a flight of locusts. In 1874, North America experienced what is believed to be the largest mass of living insect matter ever witnessed by modern man. The storm measured 110 miles wide and 1,800 long, stretching from the Canadian plains to the Texas border. The living, breathing tonnage of these insects in the 1874 outbreak has been compared to that of the American bison of the same era and possibly just as influential on the ecology of this vast region. Over the next three decades, Swarms would still appear, but smaller and smaller amounts, until the last known sight of a living North American locust was in Manitoba in 1902, and there hasn't been a swarm since. I vote no. That's my vote. No, no swarms. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> no swarms. <laughs> Find it's the only opinion that matters here, and I say no. Maybe the next cycle of locust swarm just won't show up until well after we're dead. I'm okay with that. I've got a picture here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a big bug. Oh, my God. Well, that's excellent or something. Yeah, so that looks like a swarm. That's what a swarm looks like. All right, so what is a locust plague? Well, I've got a quote for you. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came the locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who did not seal, did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They, will, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it sings someone. And in those days, people would seek death, but not find it. They will, die, they will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with the horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And that's Revelations. <laughs> wow. I will... We can talk about this later. I have never actually read the Bible. I know enough cherry-picked things to make me go, nope. Uh, I'm going to add that to the list of, oh, fucking hell no. Yeah, Revolutions is a ride if you ever want to fucking read some weird fucking shit. <laughs> like, that's an example of it. Someone um, ate some real good mushrooms and then tripped. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, after the Civil War, settlers fled to Kansas in hope of finding a better life and taking advantage of the inexpensive land, but the summer of 1874, those dreams would be invaded. 
So, quote, the insects arrived in swarms so large they blocked up the sun and sounded like a rainstorm. They ate crops out of the ground, as well as the wool from live sheep and clothing off people's backs. Paper, tree bark, and even wooden tool handles were devoured. Hoppers were reported to have been several inches deep in the ground, and locomotives could not get traction because the insects made the rails too slippery. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate it. That's so gross. Oh, oh no. Uh, so the Kansans refused to be defeated, trying anything they could to stop the swarm. Raking locusts into piles like leaves and burning them was a common method, but just one that just was kind of in vain just because of the sheer abundance. Uh, the locusts would stay for two days to a week, depending on their mood. And the effect of these swarms was devastating. But not just that, the newer, settle- new set- newer settlers weren't fully established. And where they were the worst hit, they had no stores of food, and these crops were needed for them to start their new lives. They needed to feed their families and their livestock, and they needed to be able to trade for goods and clothing to make it through the winter. So it took assistance from across the entire fucking country to help Kansas to make sure that they didn't all die from starvation that year. It was great. Oh, yeah, it's fine. It sounds like a special kind of hell. All right, I have some videos for you. Oh it great! Knows. Oh, I get, I get this in stereo. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! That's a lot. That's that's a lot. Oh my god! Oh holy shit! No. No, no, no. I don't like it. <laughs> Let me know when you guys have done that. Holy moly. Oh, I don't like it. Ah! Okay, no more. No more. Oh, but I have another one. <laughs> no! <laughs> so this video is like five minutes long, but I'm just going to tell you what timestamps to skip to. Okay. Uh, so first timestamp's going to be 40 seconds. Their faces are really cool. Oh! Nom, 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 nom. Okay, and then two minutes, 30? No. Holy sh- They're trying to kill us. And then 3.15. Oh. Okay. So yeah, that's locusts. Um, <laughs> to really oh, appreciate smooth. the havoc that they can do, you have to kind of see it. So there'll be videos on the website for you guys to watch. Have fun with that, guys. <laughs> the only redeeming factor is the beautiful British tones of the BBC Earth narrator. <laughs> All right. So there's an illustration of the North American locust. Um, it was long thought that locusts were just a super mutation of the common grasshopper that occurred during stresses of overpopulation and drought. But Jeffrey Lockwood, an entomologist and grasshopper specialist at the University of Wyoming, through extensive testing, has posed a very strong hypothesis that that's not the case at all, that locusts are their own specific species of grasshoppers. Um, Rick Overson of the Arizona State University's Global Locust Initiative explains that while there are hundreds of species of grasshoppers, only a small handful of them are those that are considered locusts. Locusts are grasshoppers that have an additional state of development. Typically, locusts exist in their grasshopper phase, and they live like this alone for years. Grasshoppers typically don't swarm. They're very solitary creatures. 
And um, it's important to know that though the locusts do have teeth, they do not bite humans unless you jam your finger into its mouth. So. So don't poke the locust. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, here's a diagram of the North American locust and how, like, it lays its eggs. Interesting. So... <laughs> how does this make you feel? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It feels kind of like alien-ish. <laughs> yeah, we're a chest burster away from a bad movie here. So the question is, where did they go in North America? Thank you, too. Last time we saw a living one. They're in the ground. So the North American locust is very likely extinct, um, with no living records since 1902, making North America the only other continent, aside from Antarctica, that does not get an occasional flight of locusts. Mm. The disappearance has baffled entomologists and ecologists as this extinction occurred prior to the advent of synthetic insecticides like DDT, or even modern farming techniques. They just disappeared. The current theory is that the species was wiped out by a series of developments that played out between 1875 and 1900 in the valleys of the upper river basins along the northern Rockies, the natural home range of the locusts between eruptions out into the prairies. So here are some examples of some of the changes that occurred. There was loss of beavers due to the fir trees, which then which, uh, did increase flooding. Um, the valleys became homes of cattle and sheep but, and had their nat native grasses replaced by alpha alpha and other livestock crops. And with the gold and silver mining operations in boom, a fairly large number of people came to these valleys, causing local agriculture to expand rapidly to support the growing populations. According to this theory, the environmental disturbances in these areas caused a natural pop population bottleneck for the locusts. While they waited for the next drought, grasshopper eggs were trampled by livestock or flooded by spring torrents of agricultural irrigation. The isolated populations of these locusts that were spread among these valleys couldn't hold out against these factors. It took a while before we noticed that the locusts were gone, as usually the only swarm about once every decade. And with World War I and the Great Depression, to say that scientists were distracted is a bit of an understatement. So is the insect truly gone forever? Daniel Ott, a well-respected authority in the field, argues no. He believes the locusts still exist, just lying dormant, hidden in remote valleys, waiting for the perfect conditions to reemerge as the agriculture terror it was meant to be. Ott is a senior curator at the Academy of Natural Sciences at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and is well known for his studies on grasshoppers and crickets, as well as the origin of the insect species. According to his website, he's also discovered and named roughly 1,600 species and is the author of a two-volume atlas, North American Grasshoppers, which was published by Harvard. Oh, shit. Yeah, he knows some things about grasshoppers. Oh, my God. Can you imagine, like, what do you do for, your, what do you do for a job? Uh... <laughs> I'm a grasshopper specialist. That's dope, right? though. Yeah, it's pretty fucking that's, sweet. That's the person you want to talk to at a party, especially if you're slightly drunk. So you talk about bugs. Yep. Okay, it's bug. No, grasshoppers. <laughs> Those are bugs. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. <laughs> basic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this basic question by Lockwood is, if there does happen to still be some remnant populations waiting to be found, would they be protected by the Endangered Species Act? Oh. And should they? <laughs> no. No, don't. No, I don't like that question. <laughs> so generally, insect pest species are not viewed as eligible for protection. Um, but 
It is an interesting idea to think about. If the species were to make a comeback, it would be devastating. Lockwood compares locusts to the smallpox virus. He How it's kept in small samples in specific labs, that if any locusts were found, that there would be plenty of scientists that would argue to acquire live samples to observe and study in a controlled and sealed environment. Released back into the wild just wouldn't be acceptable. But there are those among yeah, there are those among entomologists who believe that when, not if, the locusts return, it will not be small and it will not be quiet. Locusts have survived ice ages and dinosaurs. In other parts of the world, they're still thriving despite powerful pesticides and genetically mutated crops. To them, it's just a ticking time bomb until the right conditions are met to make a grand return. Hmm. But I don't want them to make a grand return. <laughs> Here's another picture of a swarm. Oh, Jesus. So what about the rest of the world? i got another quote for you here. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought on east wind up to on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land, so the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit from the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant or field, through all of the land of Egypt. That's Exodus. Mm -hmm. Some great quote about, quotes about locusts. <laughs> um, but the fact, you know, you think about this, like the fact that the locusts are so prevalent in the Bible does just, is just a testament to that we've been dealing with these fuckers forever. Right. <laughs> and they're terrible and destroy everything. <laughs> so 2020 was a rough year. So we had the outbreak of COVID and well, just everything just kept happening. But did you know that it also brought locust plagues with it? Or what? I seem to recall <laughs> something about this potentially. Titanic swarms of desert locusts resembling storm clowns descended on the Horn of Africa. And they've been roving through the croplands, flattening farms in a devastating salvert. X was called an unprecedented threat to food security. I got a picture here. That is the same picture. <laughs> I swear I have to match, mash like control C for it to work. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh. So in an NPR article from June 2020, the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organizations warned that if the locusts kept up with projections at the time, they could threaten the livelihoods of 10% of the world's population. Many of the areas hit haven't had an infestation in decades. So what causes desert locusts to endure this transformation into devouring hordes when the vast majority of grasshopper species are just solitary creatures that do small damage? This might have something to do with the dry environments that the species calls home. Desert locusts only lay eggs in moist soil to keep them from drying out. When heavy rains come, into the come in and saturate the desert, locusts, ever the opportunists, breed like man, mad and fill the soil with their eggs, perhaps thousands per square meter of soil. When those eggs hatch, they'll have plenty of vegetation to eat until things dry up once again. So 
As soon as things start to get crowded, desert locusts become gregarious and migrate away in search of more food. Quote, if they were to stay locally, one potential is that there are too many of them and they would run out of food. And so they migrate to find better resources, says Cease, who is an um, investigator in all this. By doing so in swarms, the locusts find safety in numbers, and any individual is less likely to get eaten. But the farmers in surrounding countries, the locusts' newfound mobility can spell ruin. Overson, who's uh, another big researcher, says he explains that when the conditions are just right, usually when there's a lot of rainfall or moisture, the increase in numbers, they increase in numbers, and then sensing each other, their brain changes, their coloration changes, and their body size changes. Just sensing each other. Quote, instead of repelling one another, they become attracted to one another. And if those conditions persist in the environment, they start to march together in coordinated formations across the landscape, which is what we're seeing in Eastern Africa. To adapt to this new social life, the locust bodies transform inside and out. They change color from a drab tan to a striking yellow and black, perhaps a signal to predators that they're toxic. Indeed, while solitary locusts avoid eating toxic plants, the gregarious locusts are actually attracted to the odor of um, Histocyamin, uh, a toxic alkaloid formed in local plants. By eating these plants and assuming their toxicity and changing color from changing color to yellow and black, the insects make themselves more conspicuous, but that just isn't a big deal when there's millions of them barreling across the landscape. They're, they're not trying to hide. Mm. Um, so here's a direct comparison of the desert locust. Um, the picture on the left is what a regular one looks like, and on the right is the when they go into full, like, Super Saiyan locust mode. That's crazy. What? Right? That's really cool. So the ability to you change your mag. Or I'm going to poison <laughs> you. Yeah. And <laughs> I will destroy everything you love. Yeah, so the ability to train schematically like this as response to environmental conditions is called the phenotypic plasticity. Many species, such as some types of coral, exhibit this, though scientists can't be certain why locusts develop this trait over time. Many believe it's because they typically live in temperamental and very harsh environments. Quote, locusts tend to live in areas where resources that are needed to survive are very unpredictable. Overson explains. The Horn of Africa, for instance, is known to be arid, going for years without heavy rain until slam ability to go through the dramatic changes to respond when you can capitalize on a rare opportunity and also have a capacity to migrate. When locusts swarm like this, they ravage, ravage agriculture, devouring practically anything in sight. Swarms are most intense in East African countries, including Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia. But data from the uh, FAO's Desert Locust Watch document steadily worsening infestations across Southwest Asia and the Middle East, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Uganda, and Iran are among some of those that have been inflicted in the last couple of years. Quote, in Kenya, it's the worst outbreak that they've had to face in 70 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Says Keith Gressman, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization Seniors Locust Forecasting Officer. That's a job. Locust forecasting officer. <laughs> in India or Pakistan, it's probably the worst they've had it in the last quarter of a century. Egyptian farmers are burning tires to dissuade locusts blown in from Sudan, and Israel is similarly affected. The cradle of agriculture and civilization along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers is still occasionally visited by locust swarms. The swarms are gargantuan masses of tens of billions of flying of bugs. They range from a square third of a mile to 100 square miles or more, with 40 million to 80 million locusts packed into a half a square mile. 
Just a couple. They bulldoze pasture lands in dark clouds the size of football fields in small cities. In northern Kenya, Cressman says, one swarm is reported to be 25 miles long and 37 miles wide. It would blanket the city of Paris 24 times over. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Here's another picture of a locust. Oh, no. Oh, they're, no. They're, they're neat looking, okay? They are, they are very cool, yeah. Well, and that, that picture's great because you can really see a lot of the details, especially on the wings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So experts say that the upsurge is likely to be tied to extreme weather events. According to Pressman, powerful cyclones in 2018 dumped water in Oman, Yemen, and the Horn of Africa. The wet conditions have persisted, creating ideal bug breeding grounds. Locusts are migratory. Locusts are migratory, transboundary pests. They ride the wind, crisscrossing paths of land until they find something they want to munch on. They especially love cereal grain crops planted extensively, extensively across Africa. Quote, they are powerful long-distance flyers, so they can easily go 100-plus kilometers in a 24-hour period, Overson notes. They can easily move across countries in days, which is one of the other major challenges and coordinated efforts that are required between nations and the institutions that manage them. So, like, if you're trying to fight locusts, like, Sure, you can do your part, but you need all the surrounding countries to do it as well. Hmm. 1988, swarms from North Africa across the Atlantic Ocean made it to the Caribbean and South America. Even today, they routine, routinely cross the Red Sea, a distance of 186 miles. They cross the motherfucking ocean. That's... What the Yeah, fuck? wait, yeah, because, like... Wait, most bugs aren't that long-lived. So what? Mm-hmm. Locusts can live years. Right, right. Except for things like locusts. That's just so messed up. Yep. Um, and they're um, ravenous. Eat- <laughs> what was that, Nathan? No, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, locusts are ravenous eaters. An adult desert locust weighs about two grams, which is a fraction of an ounce, and they can consume roughly its own weight daily. And they're not picky at all. According to the FAO, a swarm of just one square kilometer, again, about a third of a square mile, can consume as much food as would be eaten by 35,000 people or six elephants in a single day. I need to leave. I need this to, I planet? Need to go. I need to go. Yeah. I don't, I'm very uncomfortable now. I don't, I don't ah! want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> Let's stop the ride. I want to get off. All right, I have another picture here once it loads. I would like to just reiterate. The planet is trying to kill us. Mm-hmm. It always was. <laughs> to be fair, we started it. <laughs> we did start it, yeah. It's true. It's just some more locusts. Again, just cool looking. Locusts. Oh, wow. Gosh, they don't even look real. Yeah, they look so vibrant, right? Yeah, it's it's. They're so cool looking. Yeah, they are horrifying. Yeah, cool. I mean that's they're horrifying <laughs> in giant numbers, but like, right? A picture of a couple of them hanging out on a branch is kind of neat. <laughs> Just don't think about them eating everything, right? Including the clothes <laughs> off your back. Yes, that. Yep. <laughs> so the last uh, uh, big outbreak went from 2003 to 2005, resulting in $2.5 billion in damages. 
Not only did this impact the economy, but children who grew up during this period were much less likely to go to school, and girls were disproportionately affected. Mm. Mm. To make matters worse, the countries that are slammed with these infestations are countries that are already struggling from recessions, natural disasters, internal conflict, corruption, now COVID. Quote, we're talking about a corner of Africa that's really, really vulnerable. They've had successive years of drought, and then this year they have had heavy rains and, flo and floods, so even without the locusts, they're already in precarious situation. The locusts are in your field for a morning, and then by midday, there's hardly anything left in your field. It's just eaten. So the biggest challenge for the individual nations is a lack of cash. Due to inconsistencies in the ebb and flow of swarms, you never know when a swarm is going to hit. Prior to this, Kenya hadn't seen a swarm in 70 years, so it makes it hard to motivate long-term proactive solutions when there's so many other urgent challenges. Mm -hmm. Quote, it's hard to maintain funding and political will and knowledge in a capacity building when you have these unpredictable boom and bust cycles that could play out for over years or decades. The drama and spectacle of the outbreak right now is important to cover, but the more nuanced narrative involves a slow, ratchet method of building infrastructure. If you wait until it's reactive and forget about it until it happens again, we're going to be in this situation forever. So the most effective way to fight these outbreaks currently is mass aerial sprays of pesticides, but the solution is heavy with adverse effects to the environment and the humans that live near these areas. But there is new technology that is being developed that shows promise, including biopesticides. So there are four classes of biopesticides. Um, the first is microbial pesticides, which are made from bacteria, fungi, or viruses. Then there's bio-derived chemicals. That there are four that are commercially used, which is pyrethium, rotenone, neem oil, and other various essential oils. So maybe the new age hippies are onto something. <laughs> Uh, Plant-incorporated protectants, PIPs, um, they use genetic material from other species incorporated into the target crops to need protection. This is a very, very controversial method, especially in European countries. Mm -hmm. And then RNAi pesticides, either applied topically or absorbed by the crop. Many plants have their own defenses against different pests, but by examining other plants and the chemical compounds that help them naturally deter pests, we can use these to develop other more natural solutions. The, the latest biocontrol method, though, that is showing promise is a killer fungus, Metazerium acridum, which only torments locusts and grasshoppers and could selectively target the menace. Huh. Use mushrooms to save the world. You know what? I think that's a laudable goal. I'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah. Get high, save lives. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization is partnering with NOAA to adapt an application that they use for tracking plumes from volcanoes and forest fires to help them better predict where the locusts will strike next. Knowing wind patterns can help authorities pre-position material and personnel in an effort to prevent croplands from being destroyed. So I've got a picture here of what the current projections are, because right now this still this is still happening. So according to the Food and Agriculture Organization's Locust Watch website, they have a Locust Watch website, the swarms are currently moving through Kenya and Somalia, headed for Ethiopia, with additional swarms in Jordan, Syria, and Iraq, moving towards Yemen and east to Pakistan. Yeah, like it's like, these are countries that oh, always have so much fucking going on. Right, right. They don't need this on top of. Yeah. No. 
Jesus. So in conclusion, this is the menace that may only grow stronger, because locusts will likely be the winners on a warming planet. They need a lot of vegetation to fuel their swarms, and that requires rain. The highly active cyclone seasons the past few years may be a sign of things to come. Warmer seas spawn more cyclones and more cyclones, especially sequential, sequential ones that give locusts wet soils to breed in as they mm -hmm. mark the landscape, landscape could mean more locusts. So on the climatic flip side, locusts are highly adapted to a life of heat and drought. The global locust initiatives experiments have shown that the Australian plague locust can survive up to a month without water. Oh, come on. Mm -hmm. So while other species struggle to adapt to a rap rapidly warming planet, the locusts will have an advantage both in the heat-tolerant physiology and potentially from a decrease in competition from other less fortunate insects. Quote, if climate change does accelerate in aridification and temperature, as is predicted to do in many areas, it would be very easy to imagine that some locust species could expand their range. For the desert locusts, this would increase the already daunting geographic area that needs to be monitored. It's fine. It's fine. Fine. Planet is trying to kill us. It's fine. Yeah. So the UN's um, Food and Agricultural Organization, uh, they have a huge anti-locust program. Um, they help with a bunch of other stuff as well, but they do that. Um, and they do have a website where you can donate to help out the cause. So I will be posting that link, of course. Um, and just kind of an idea of what those donations could go towards. Um, thanks to all these donations, they've been able to develop, sorry, they've been able to develop several high-tech tools for tracking, monitoring, and predicting the movements of these locusts. Previously, all data was collected from individuals on the ground, which was frequently vague, and in 25% of the cases, incorrect or just straight up unusable. Mm -hmm. So like you're a random farm, you're like, I think that was a locust. <laughs> And then you right. report it, then people show like, okay, well, no, no, that was the grasshopper. <laughs> right. It's like witness statements. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, when you talk, think about it, like a lot of these places where this is happening, they may not have the internet or phones. They may not even know that they can report this. Right. Exactly. So satellites may be the biggest game changer in the fight against desert locusts. Since rainfall is critical components to locust breeding, they're using two satellites to identify rainfall and vegetation that might attract locusts for breeding. Cressman says, it sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? <laughs> so a third sat satellite, which Cressman dubs the Holy Grail of Desert Locust Monitoring, goes a step further and can detect soil mo moisture between the Earth's surface, conditions which would allow for female locusts to lay their eggs. Quote, it's not just about the moisture of the surface of the soil, it's also about down about 15 centimeters of depth in which the females lay their eggs. Wow. So it's a satellite that detects 15 centimeters down the moisture on the planet. Jesus. Right? So I guess people worried about the TSA looking at us all naked under our clothes weren't totally off, huh? <laughs> They're looking further than that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's all they the look, soil, man. They could look below your clothes, trust me. Or if they could look below the soil, they could look out your clothes. <laughs> but um, I mean, so if you really it, want to... I don't understand who the internet would look is at full that. of porn. Like this is true. The internet people is just wandering. <laughs> people just wandering around their houses and stuff. Like, like <laughs> people just aren't attractive naked when they're just not doing anything. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Unless you're like a real voyeur <laughs> that gets off yeah. on that kind of thing. If oh, you want to watch me sit in bed and play Pokemon Snap for four hours, go for it. <laughs> yeah, really. At that point, you know what? Sure. Yeah, get your get your jollies off, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Um, FAO is also working with NASA, the European Space Agency, and the European Commission Joint Research Center to refine their satellite technology. NASA's doing something, guys. Hey, no more space <laughs> force? Is that gone? Well, there's still satellites, so right. that's space. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Right. Hey, you know, space <laughs> and like fucking life on Mars and shit. Shit like that. <laughs> Let's bring the locust to Mars. It'll be fine. Put the there, yeah. Do do that. Do that. Unless you find a Mass Effect field, then we'll talk. But you know, <laughs> there's a dog. What the fuck? Why is there a dog? I don't know. Oh, did you say Rachel and Josh's parents or whatever have a dog? Or friends or something. Yeah. <laughs> Freya's looking at the one like it woke Freya up. She's like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Yeah, I was like, "What yeah. is that noise?" I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> Anyways, um, back on the ground, the satellite data is transmitted in real time across cell phones, tablets, and other devices so countries can mobilize their control teams to take immediate action to tackle the locust swarms. With these operations, the scale of desert locust invasion has vastly diminished in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia. In East Africa, locust control operations have prevented the loss of 4 million tons of cereal and 800 million liters of milk production while protecting the food security of 36.6 million people and avoiding... $1.56 $1.56 billion US dollars in cereal and milk losses. You know what? Brava, science. Good job. Right? That's pretty cool. Okay, and I want you to meet Chris Stewart. The locust, isn't he? Chris Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not like a locust. So um, he's a locust hunter, though. So before COVID-19 he and the arrival of the Locust, he's a Kenyan pl- pilot that used to ferry celebrities and royalty and other people to luxury hotels and exclusive conserv- conservation areas. So now he hunts locusts. Quote, it's easy to confuse the smoke or dust cloud with a swarm. And if the insects are resting in trees, they look like acacia flowers. Wow. And I got some pictures. So yeah, he just fucking flies around and looks for locusts. So like this I is the locust swarm that. there. Wait, hold like, on. Like, what? That's weird. It looks like dust. Exactly. Yeah. So he said it's like they can look like dust if you don't know what you're looking for. Holy moly. So this guy used to ferry around rich people and instead hunting locusts. <laughs> you know this what? is his COVID job. <laughs> Looking good for him. Right? And then here's some more team members. Okay, this is uh, Yusef Kurtuma, Christine Kebaba. They're both employees of the tech company 51 Degrees, which has helped track the locusts. And Casper Satemba are all looking at data-filled screens. In his operations room, information from Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya is compiled and analyzed. We gather together all the information people in the villages gives us, says Kurtuma. The, vill- the elders and the trackers employed by various different companies collect it. They compile... And then we compile all of this information in one platform and then we share it with all the, the people working on the ground to stop the desert locusts. Oh, wow. So they have these like data centers of people just analyzing all this information and like coordinating efforts. Okay, that's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Um, quote, while the situation has improved, the swarms remaining in Kenya and less numerous and smaller swarms in Ethiopia and Somalia, we are still not yet at the end of the upsurge, says Cyril Ferrand, FAO's resilience team leader for Eastern Africa. 
Quote, we are now in the middle of the rainy season, and although rainfall has been below average, conditions are becoming more favorable for desert locusts to breathe. It is paramount, it's paramount to maintain a high level of surveillance. Quote. So the threat has also diminished in Yemen. The small swarms have recently appeared in Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon, and Syria. The FAO continues to win as many battles against the desert locusts as it can. But the war is not over. So we gotta keep up the good fight. And yeah. um, good news, I saw that Canada gave $2 million to this initiative on the 11th. That's pretty oh, cool. Wow. Go Canada! Yay! If Canada can, Canada can do it, you guys can do it too. <laughs> Donate now. Save us all from locusts. Ah. But seriously, yeah, I will put it, post the UN donation link on the web, on our website. Also, also, you just go to like the UN's Locust Watch page and find it there. And they have tons of updates. They, they, they keep that regularly updated. They have social media about what's happening, the technological developments, where like everything. It's super, it's a really really well-made website and um, very informative and they're very transparent about everything they're doing. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. See, I, I told you I found a way to end it on good note. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, locusts. Uh, locusts are horrifying. Right? And also look real cool, but they're horrifying. It's just so crazy. They just disappeared in North America. And it could be something as simple as like killing beavers, wow, and herding cows that could have done it. <laughs> uh, oh, man, yeah. Don't forget, you absolutely have an impact on lots of other things in the world. Yeah, than just yourself. You could be the end of a pest, <laughs> or you could make it worse. <laughs> And don't we all want to know if that's the big Schrodinger's cat question, right? <laughs> are you creating a locust-friendly environment, or are you not? Right. You won't know. <laughs> I Let's believe, I believe the answer is just yes. Yeah, <laughs> just in general. Is the world trying to kill us? Yes. Then there's your answer. That's it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you said it before we started recording or not, but yeah, we're also dealing with the uh, Generation X like um, cicada swarms in the south. So fun. They're they're a little less devastating. <laughs> a little less, but they're still. Oh. They're cool though, cicadas. Noises. Mm -hmm. They yes, and it's all their legs rubbing together, right? Yeah. Oh, well, their wings. Um, their wings. There we go. There we go. Do you guys get locusts there? Or sorry, not locusts, <laughs> cicadas. Cicadas, on occasion you'll hear them, but we also have some bullfrogs around here that kind of sound like cicadas, so it's sweet. Yeah, Crazy. it's kind of a weird... You really have to get out, like, where we're at, we're close to multiple small bodies of water. If you move in a little more inland, uh, closer to the city, obviously you lose that. Yeah, when we were in Atlanta, when we went out and recorded with Steve that one night, and then we were waiting for our Uber outside, and like we heard these noises, like those are fucking cicadas, and they're like, no, they're not. And like, yeah, it is. We got <laughs> and like we were at our Airbnb the next day, and a fucking giant ass cicada landed on our window, and it was so loud, it was crazy. Yeah. Yep, they're yeah, deafening. Yeah, I was so excited. <laughs> they're it's a oh, they're cicada. 
they're really cool they're really cool and at the same time you're like it, it's so funny how used to them you can get yeah after a while they're, they're absolutely fascinating that's something we should definitely cover on the show at some point too just because they're, they're fucking crazy yeah they are let's get all the plague insects <laughs> <laughs> well we've covered one of the um what, what are they nathan the eight plagues of egypt or some shit Give me your Bible knowledge. Yeah, really. Yeah. Play it out. It's been it's <laughs> yeah. been a while. Oh my god. Uh uh. Need the you know water the waters to turn to blood and the fire to rain from the sky. I can't remember. Yeah, ten ten plagues of Egypt. Ten. Oh. What are they all? Pardon? Frogs. What are what are they all? Oh yeah, there's frogs as one. Uh, water water to blood. Frogs. Gnats, um, wild animals or flies, pestilence of livestock, boils, uh, thunderstorms of hail and fire, locusts, darkness for three days, and then the death of your firstborn. I was just thinking about the Prince of Egypt, so that's my reference. It's a fucking great movie. It is. Gosh, I haven't watched that in forever. So good. Anyway, so yeah, that's Locus. <laughs> Locus! We can probably stop recording now. Okay. Okay, bye. All right. Locus. And that's it for this week. Thanks again for listening. Next week, we're going to get into some unusual internet legends from a town that does not exist to the most infamous Harry Potter fanfic that has ever existed and the mysterious online blog from 2001 written by Ted the Caver. As always, sources, links, pictures, all that can be found on our website, thehumanexception.com. Do you have an idea for something you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or you just want to say hi? We now have so many ways for you to contact us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Human Exception, email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com, or come join us on our new Discord server. I guess it's not so new anymore, but you can find the link for that on our contact page. We hope you have a wonderful weekend and keep being exceptional, my humans. Real life audio experience for you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need one of those for sure. Oh my gosh. No. You probably just have to move the broom. Or move just... the temptation. Well, no, now he's just cuddling the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Asher looks super impressed. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. We went to the fish store yesterday, so I got a bunch of new fish. Another crate. Um, I got a five-gallon tank uh, the other day just because, like, I have these guppies. And then mm-hmm. I was running from my shrimp guy, and I was like, oh, he's got these tetras. 
and like generally small strolling fish like that they all get along together it's like perfect oh, i'm gonna wow. get get these penguin tetras and they show up and they're almost two inches long the first oh. one like committed suicide that's a whole other thing oh, um my yeah. god you can't just Pen- say that they're apparently they're jumping fish so like that's- i put them in a tupperware container on the island with some water in it so they could kind of start to accustom and then i was just going about doing stuff because you kind of want to leave them for like you know an hour at least an hour like doing like the waters thing right so stop doing stuff and they come back and i'm like why is there only one fish in the bit in the dish oh my god I'm like what the fuck i'm like looking everywhere i thought like did the cats jump on the table like i don't understand eventually find him on the ground and i'm like oh my god i pick him up and i put him in the water it's like okay well you seem like you're alive but like um his air bladder had like fully inflated so he was kind of like floating weird like so i i did everything i could to try and you know get him to live but he just didn't quite make it oh my god that was a bummer but yeah then like (laughs) get the remaining fish in the tank um and then like a day or so later or something i come back like where the fuck's the penguin and I'm looking what? for it, and it's not there. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? And I find it on the ground. <laughs> and like, it d- jumped out of this back part of the tank. And I was like, oh my god. And thankfully, um, he lived. And oh I, I guess I found him like soon enough that it wasn't as big of a deal. So I threw him back in the tank. I like put tape on the back of the fucking lid just so they wouldn't be able to get out anymore. I'm like, just ridiculous. And so yeah, finally get to keeping the fi- the fucking fish in the tank. Um, now the guppies are like. An inch at most, where this fish is two inches long. Turns right. out that um, penguin tetras are not your cute little neon tetras. They're assholes. Um, <laughs> that and like instead of nipping at the guppies' fins, they, they've got these long swooshy fins. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that, like I've seen the bites out of them. I'm like, oh, oh my god, my the god. penguins being an asshole. And like whenever I feed, he gets like so aggressive. It's like a shark feeding. Like he's just like zooming Jeez. all over the place. I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do about this? And so, like, I've been dealing with this for the last couple of weeks. And, like, you know, I was like, maybe I'm just not feeding him enough. Um, right. You know, like, he's aggressive because he's not eating enough. And so, so I tried to feed them more. And then now I'm dealing with the whole allergy thing. And it didn't make a difference. And then, like, one of the guppies started getting obese. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> so I was like, fuck this shit. Okay, we need to separate them. So I was like, I was reading more about the guppies, uh, about the uh, Tetra. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, they're totally assholes. Unless you keep them in schools of six to ten, and then they'll just pick on each other. Holy shit! And I was like, this is a ten-gallon tank, and I'm like, I cannot fit six to ten of these in no. there. I don't even know where the fuck I'd find them, because um, the guy that I got off, he only had the two, and and they're um, and apparently there's this huge thing about penguin tetras where the bulk of penguin tetras that are sold as penguin tetras aren't penguin tetras. <laughs> Uh, the ones that I have are is the an actual penguin tetra, but so it makes it even rarer to find tank mates for it. So I was like, okay, this is he's gonna kill my guppies. The guppies are just hiding all the time now. Um, especially there's one of them that's like really bright white, um, which I like because it's cool, but like also that makes them super visible to the penguin. Right. So I ended up last weekend buying a five gallon tank on like a whim. I'm like, fuck, I just need to get those guppies out of there and then I'll figure out what to do. So I bought the second tank, set the guppies up in there. We're good. And now it's like, of course, then the fucking penguins by himself, which is like, he's a schooling fish. It's not good. <laughs> right. Oh, so yeah, God. we went to the town. I went to the fish store yesterday. We got him some new friends, some pencil fish, which are other like South American tropical fish. And they're don't have long tails and they're fast enough. Um, 
and around his okay. size that yeah that's they're they're they should be fine and yeah and then we got some more guppies got a couple of shrimp we've got these giant fucking snails which are cool oh my god and then last night yeah i was just checking on the fish after putting them in because the new guppies are so small and they keep hiding and they're really cute and then i see this little thing like this is almost like speck of dust floats to the water I'm like what the fuck is that and like i watch like the guppy just like eat it and i realize it's a tiny baby shrimp because i've been putting my pregnant shrimp in with a guppy tank oh. so i find like this is the smallest i've ever seen a shrimp but it was like so tiny like it was like it's like oh. an eyelash oh. and it's like this transparent like little glass shrimp and so it's, i've been going by the tank ever since trying to find and see if i can see more and i've not seen another one because they're just so small oh like it was pure God. luck that we saw it yeah holy and the shit. fish tried to eat it <laughs> This is a this is aquarium life. It's a very edge this, of your seat action. I was gonna say, yeah, that's way more excitement than I get out of the cats. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I'm missing out. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I love I love the aquarium hobby. But yeah, yeah. So that was that was yesterday. We went out and got fish. We parked like three blocks away from the fish place, and we were walking over. And there's all these stairs and stuff, and it's like fucking hot as balls. We're wearing masks, and like by <laughs> the time right. we get to the fish store, we're like we're dead. <laughs> we're so dead. Oh. <laughs> it's like thankfully I knew what I want. We just went in there and the guy's like, "What do you want? Like I want this, I want this, I want this." He's like, "Okay." <laughs> and, like bagged up our shrimp and fish, and we're like, "Let's get the fuck home because I'm done. <laughs> I'm dead." Oh, God. But yeah, it's good to go in the fish store again though, because <laughs> it's it's been closed for most of the pandemic. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So I was able to get some fish and stuff, and that's that's exciting. <laughs> and they were able to open back up, which is. Oh uh, yeah, they've been they've been open for like a month or two now. Uh, I saw a Google review on their thing because I was just double checking their hours, and someone was like, "We went in there with my family of five, and they wouldn't hit the most weight in the store." Blah 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 blah. And like Ugh. they're like two pe two people per group. That's maximum. Like, wow. just totally fair in the pandemic. Every other fucking store is doing it, but this guy like left this huge raging fucking review about the fact that he couldn't bring his three fucking kids in with him, and it's like this is like. The store is big, but it's got narrow aisles. And it's like you and your entire family in there, you're going to be in there forever. <laughs> so mm -hmm. people got to wait for you. And also, yeah, yeah, this is not enough space. Yeah, no. And also, five is not two. No, math, math. Your, your numbers are wrong. Yeah. Anyways, wrong. Enough oh. about fish life. <laughs> Fish. Yeah. All right, locusts. 